on the afterglow of that. Get out your handouts and let's talk. Because Jesus went through a watery grave. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. And um, following his baptism, he came face to face with some challenges, with some temptations. In fact, that's what we're going to be looking at to today, right now, is to take some time and think about Jesus' temptation and our temptation or temptations. You know, sometimes the uh, chapter titles get changed further along. You know, sometimes a chapter in your life you might look at and say, you know, that was the worst day of my life. But then looking back on it a, a few days, a few years, a few months or down the road, you look back and you know, I thought that was the worst day of my life. But in some ways it turned out to be the best day of my life. Sometimes the hardest times we face at the moment end up being the times of greatest growth for us. And that's, I think, what you see in the temptations of Jesus. At the time he was going through them, there was probably this feeling like, oh my goodness, how could all this boom, boom, boom happen to me? And yet looking back on it, it wasn't just a time of tempting. It wasn't just the biggest time of testing for Jesus. It was the time of greatest triumph for Jesus. Looking back, the chapter kind of got rewritten. The, the chapter title kind of got rewritten from uh, hardest, toughest, challenging time to greatest time of victory. And so often that can be an encouragement for us as we're going through days that are challenging. Are you, any of you here today? going through challenging times? Any of you here today? Maybe I shouldn't do this. I won't ask for a show of hands. Have any of you not been tempted? <laughs> I'm being facetious. Every person in here has been tempted. You may be tempted today to quit. You may be tempted to throw in the towel. You may be tempted in, in, in ways that are probably non-traditional but God has a victory for you. God has a plan for you. And as we examine Jesus, as we look at his life, he is the model. He's the example. He's the pattern for us that we can learn from. As we examine not only his baptism that Jamie just patterned after, but his temptations, we can see what is going to be uh, the pattern for, for you and for me. What chapter is Because what happens is, First comes the baptism, then comes the battle. You know, when Jesus was baptized, there was a voice from heaven that said, this is my beloved son, listen to him. There was a, the Holy Spirit in a form like a dove that came and landed on Jesus. There was this passion and power, and everyone around him heard this affirmation. Immediately following Jesus' baptism, he was led into a time of extreme temptation. That often is the way it works in our lives. The word of comfort, this is my beloved son, listen to him, and affirmation can turn into a word of challenge and conflict. He can go from strength to weakness. In fact, he ends up fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. He can be in a place of, of water and then in a place of desert a place of flourishing, 
and a place of wilderness. And so often there's going to be a season in your life and my life. And some of what we have to do is assess what season are we in? What season are you in? Where has God got you? A season of passion and growth. Because as you grow, you will be challenged, just like Jesus. We're going to take this mostly from the book of Matthew. Okay, Matthew chapter 4. Let's look at, let's look at uh, verses 1 and 2. And talk, talk most of all about who was it that brought the temptation to Jesus. When Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. You should have at the top of your page, the tempter. The tempter. Jot that in if you would. Now our, uh, our world today has done a great job of cartooning the devil. Do you know what I mean by that? They've made a red, fork-tailed, pitchforked person, you know, that's kind of comedic, that's waiting for someone to bend over so he can fork them. You know, that's the comedic uh, downsell of who the tempter is. That's not the picture we get in the scriptures. But we do get a individual, a person that embodies the tempter. In this case, the accuser. In fact, here's some, here's some words. In this case, we, we, he is called the devil. The devil, translated, means the accuser or the slanderer or the wedge driver. That's what the word devil, diabolos, we would say. The word Satan, the word Satan means adversary or enemy. And it's not that God is his enemy, it's that he's made himself the enemy. He's declared war on the Heavenly Father. He is, in that case, the enemy. The Old Testament calls him uh, Lucifer. Lucifer means light bearer or morning star. Because he started out in a different way. He didn't start out as the accuser and the evil one. Uh, some strange words get labeled for the accuser. Uh, Beelzebub. Beelzebub. He's called Beelzebub in the Old Testament. That literally means Lord of the Flies. <laughs> That's what that word means. You kind of go, That's gross. But for 2 Corinthians says, He is God of this world. Think about that for a moment. Ephesians calls him the prince of the powers of the air, the prince of the powers of darkness. I mean, those are some of the labels that this tempter kind of comes with. Of course, Peter, who's warning, and Peter, who gave in to temptation numerous times, including his famous denials of Jesus three times. You know, Peter says, guys, you got to know this. Satan will come like a roaring lion seeking someone to destroy or devour. I mean, that's the picture Peter paints of the tempter, the evil one. Job actually calls him the adversary, not just using the word Satan. Matthew calls him wicked one, Belial. And, and, and one that gets a lot of press in this passage is the father of lies. You see, Satan is so good at twisting the truth, putting a little kernel of truth in the midst of a big lie 
to bring about a temptation. That's almost always what Satan does. In the Garden of Eden, as he came to Eve, it was taking the truth of God and twisting it just a little bit so that the tempting was swallowable. She would give in to the temptation because the tempter is indeed the father of lies. Notice this word here, then. What's the then? <laughs> right after the baptism. Right after the baptism of Jesus, then Jesus was led up by whom? He was led by the Spirit of God. For what? Into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The reason Jesus went to the wilderness was to be approved and to gain uh, approved through the temptation process. God allowed temptation to come to Jesus. And you know what? We live in a world where temptation is a reality. It is human. It is, in a way, allowed by God that all of us would experience temptation, partly because he uses that to perfect us, to grow us, and to cause us to be like Jesus, who not only was tempted, but resisted the temptation. He was tempted by the devil. That's the word for slanderer, accuser, the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Do you think that's an understatement? <laughs> yeah, probably one of the greatest understatements of all time, right? 40 days and 40 nights, and then... You know, the, the scientists talk about uh, our bodies going into ketosis. It's a very popular word now for uh, some diets and that kind of thing. And then there's a point at which your body is not even hungry. Your hunger goes away. And then the, they say, the scientists say, your hunger returns at a critical point. And for Jesus, this was the point. Okay? The hunger comes back because your body is basically saying, this is the limit. This is the limit of what you can endure. There's no more fat reserve to be used up. <laughs> you know? And Jesus says, and the Bible says, Jesus was hungry. Why do you suppose that's pointed out? There'd be no temptation if there was no hunger. Okay? The temptation was based on a utilization of a natural desire, and he jumped at this point. He was hungry. The tempter came in, and said to him, so we're not going to ask, answer what he said yet, but this is when Satan often comes. He'll come to us and utilize the natural desires that we have. He will often misuse the very things God has given us as gifts. And um, that's where the temptation often comes from. Jesus was, was hungry. Let's talk about the temptations. For me. I'm just going to go through these one, two, three. A couple of things you can, you can jot down. So you got the tempter and you got the temptations. The first one I want to talk about is, I call it provision. The temptation to provide for yourself rather than to trust in and depend upon God for your provision. The tempter comes in and he really tries to use uh, Scripture and uh, doubt in Jesus' mind of who he is in his identity. Here's what it says. 
And the tempter came to Jesus and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Here, this temptation centers around, is Jesus going to provide for himself or where he's already got this trusting of God to provide for him? It is written. See, in a way, what Satan wants to do is warp God's word. Now, a few days before, 40 days before this temptation, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. What did Satan come with? A doubt. If you are the son of God, do this, do that. If you are truly who the father says you are. And I want us to know that God, God's word and his identity for us is always at war when there's a temptation. Are you who God says you are? Do you trust him as his child? We sang about, um, I'm no longer a slave to sin. I am a child of God. Okay? I mean, that's going to be tested. That's where the temptation really comes in. If you are the son of God, change these stones into bread. Now, was there anything wrong? Could Jesus have turned these stones into bread and had a good lunch? I mean, we know from the scriptures Jesus had the power and the ability to do that. One time he fed 4,000 bread. One time he fed 5,000 and had 12 baskets left over. I mean, we, Jesus had food miracle ability, but he didn't use it. The temptation was to use it instead of trusting God in the midst of this hunger that he had. He had already made a plan and he was trusting God and Satan's plan was to uh, put it into his own hands. You can see a couple of things that maybe uh, come out of this. The, the, the way Satan tempts, first of all, he uses a desire. Jot that down if you don't mind. Jot down the fact that there's a desire there. He was hungry. The second thing is Satan uses doubt. In this case, it's, in almost every case, it's a doubt about who you are and a doubt about how good he is. You know, we sometimes sing, uh, you know, you're a good, good father. That's going to be brought into question. That's going to be, a, 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 a doubt is going to be thrown in there. So there's a desire, there's doubt. And then you can tell what Satan does, deception. He'll deceive like he did with Eve in the garden, like he did with Jesus here, to deceive and to make, make it say, if you are the Son of God, do this outside of God's, God's will. And of course then, when we fall, when we yield, when we do, Jesus didn't yield, even though there was deception. Instead, he defended his faith and trust in God. Um, you know, there's some sins that are really easy for us to say that's a sin. Like, I'm going to steal. I'm going to lust. 
I'm going to lie. I'm going to cheat. I'm going to curse. Those are all easy for us to kind of label. That's a sin. I was tempted and I yielded or I didn't yield. Sometimes the more challenging ones, like in this case, when it comes to his providing for us, sometimes we're tempted to quit. I mentioned that. Sometimes we're tempted to be proud. We're tempted toward pride. Sometimes we're tempted to um, worry. Does that ever affect you? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, and in this case, we're tempted to not trust God. Not trust God. Now, let me just mention, sometimes this comes in a form of um, finances. Sometimes it comes in the form of finances. In fact, sometimes the, the easy credit has a direct, <laughs> uh, a direct challenge to us. Am I going to depend on myself or am I going to let finances be used by God to provide for me? Sometimes we get out the credit card and go into debt when he really wants to show us himself by providing. <laughs> In some ways, this is Jesus' credit card test. <laughs> does he pull out the credit card and turn the you know, bread from the stones, or does he trust God to provide? You might say, well, then maybe God provided through the credit card. Too often, we're easy to jump to that solution and do it ourselves instead of letting God uh, show us. Um, so God, if you trust me, I'll provide for you. And you need to know, God's got you in his heart, and he is going to provide. Here's what it says, Philippians 4.19. My God shall supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, now notice he doesn't say every one of your needs, plural. He says, my God shall supply every need of yours. <laughs> you know, because sometimes we have this list of needs and it's not really our need. You following me there? He says, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And so it really comes down to, are you trusting him as your provision, as the provision for your life and your livelihood. Let's take the second one. Temptation number two. I put the word down protection. Because he's asking and telling and tempting Jesus. In fact, here's what it says. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple. Let's say Solomon's portico. This huge, huge building. This was not a little dinky chapel. Okay? We're talking about the temple in Jerusalem. So the pinnacle of the temple would have been hundreds and hundreds of feet up. He took him to the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are, notice the same kind of, he's, he's riveted on this suspicion and doubt. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it's written. Now, Satan is quoting God's word. He's misusing it, but he's quoting God's word, trying to tempt Jesus. He will command his angels concerning you. And their hands will bear you up lest you strike your heel or strike your foot against a stone. Can you imagine the audacity of the tempter using Scripture to tempt the Son of God? No. Jesus said to him, again, it is written. 
Here's what God's word really says in this case. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. God, Jesus, could have tested the Lord, caused this buoying up that he's you know, tempted to do here, but um, it would have been a putting in his own hands. It would have been taking into his own him, the plan that God had. It probably would have been pretty glorious. In the middle of the temple square, if someone had jumped off the, the uh, pinnacle of the temple and angels had come and lowered him down almost like a... Uh, a parachute drop into a stadium before a game, you know? All these people going, oh! And probably there would have been some temporary worship of who he was and some amazement. Jesus knew that was not God's plan. Jesus knew that was not God's ultimate plan, that there was a process and a plan that, that God was going through with his son. And to thwart that, to bypass that, to shortcut that, that was the temptation. That was the temptation. Not that he couldn't have done something amazing, but that it would have bypassed God's bigger plan. Because the plan was to go through the cross. The plan was to go through a road of suffering, not just a road of jumping off the um, pinnacle of the temple. Don't put the Lord... Your God. Now, there are times when God says, put me to a test. They're, they're few and far between. <laughs> when it comes to jumping off, do not put God to the test in this kind of a temptation. You know where he says you can test him? In your finances. He says, when it comes to the provision and the protection of your life, put me first. And he says, test me in this. Try me in this. And he says, when you put me first financially... He says, watch what I love to do. He says, I love to open the window of heaven and pour out a blessing so great that you can't even take it in. I mean, that's the place where God says it's okay <laughs> to test him. Not jumping off buildings, but putting him first in your finances. When people look at your account, when you look at your account, is it obvious to you that God and his kingdom are first as you do that, he loves it when you test him in that. He loves it when you put him to the test in financial ways. Now, every one of these scriptures in this passage are from Deuteronomy. Old Testament book, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The young Jewish boys had to, boys and girls, boys had to learn the first five books of the Bible. In fact, most of them had to memorize, catch this, memorize the book of Deuteronomy. You know, Jesus is coming back to the devil with quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. How did Jesus know the book of Deuteronomy? Now, before you answer, you might say, he wrote it, of course. He was involved and engaged when it was written by Moses. Yes. But what we indicate, what's indicated from Scripture is that he learned Scripture like you and I learned Scripture. Okay? The Bible says, Luke chapter 2, he says, the child, Jesus, grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. 
He grew the same way that you and I grow, spiritually, socially, educationally. He put things in his mind like we put in our minds. Somehow as Jesus laid his divinity aside and put on his humanity, learning was... Remember when Jesus was 12 years old and he was in the temple talking to the other leaders and the teachers of the law? What does the Bible say Jesus was doing? It says he was sitting, listening to their instruction and asking them questions. Now, now here you got the Son of God listening to their instruction, growing in their understanding, in his understanding, but he's the Son of God. He's the one who wrote Scripture. Could it be that Jesus learned Scripture just like you and I do, that it was a, a, a discipline that he engaged in, just like it's a discipline for you and I to read Scripture, to memorize Scripture, to study God's Word. He grew in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God and man, and part of his overcoming temptation was every time. Every time, he says, it is written. It is written. (laughs) How can we thinking of Jesus who was in the will of God, who had the Spirit of God, who was the Son of God, who walked in the will of God, how can we think that if Jesus needed the Scriptures, the as it is written, to overcome temptation, how can we think that it's not going to be our best tool? How come we're not sitting in front of God's Word on a regular basis, taking in the instruction and asking tons of questions? You know, how come we're not as hungry as Jesus was. Could it be that our hunger for his word and our desire to hit God's word, he says, thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Could our growth out of temptation and our growth in our Christ-likeness, our growth in patterning our lives after Jesus be directly dependent on our drinking in, studying in, and growing in the word so that we say as Jesus, it is. Is written. See, Satan's going to try to tempt through warping God's word. When you know the truth, what's the Bible say? The truth will set you free. When you know the truth, Satan cannot warp it and use it against you in that way. Let's take the third one. I call this the temptation toward power. The temptation toward power. So you've got provision, protection, and power. The three biggest arenas where Satan loves to tempt, where Satan loves to tempt. The Bible calls, in First John, he says, uh, it's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. <laughs> Power. The boastful pride of life. Okay? In fact, most every one of our temptations are going to be boiled down into one of those three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the boastful pride of life. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written. Third time, third temptation, third response, it is written. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Can you imagine the gall, the audacity of the tempter coming to Jesus and saying, all this is mine and I will give it to you? He's talking to the creator of all that he's looking at and he's saying, I'll give this to you who already own it. (laughs) 
You know? That's how ridiculous. That's how ridiculous Satan and his temptations are. But they are very, very real when they come to us. When the lie, when the warp of God's word comes to us, we are tempted to believe it. Who we are and what we are gets put into doubt and into question. So he throws that desire, but then it's the doubt and it's the deception that really lead us away from God's best. Um, since the temptation was to shortcut God's plan. I'll give you all this if you bow down and worship me. No, I'm supposed to go through the cross. I'm supposed to go through the cross. You know, Philippians says it this way. Jesus, who was in equality with God, did not count equality with God something to be hung on to, something to be grasped. But he emptied himself and he took on manhood. He took on the appearance of a man. Not just a man, he says a servant. Not just a servant, but a servant who would die on a cross. I mean, that's the plan. And it says, because of that, God highly exalted him and put him, that his name is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why did all that happen? Because he emptied himself and he went to the cross. Not because he bowed down and worshiped the evil one. You see the difference? It's, just, it's the shortcut that is the temptation. It's the desire for taking God's plan and in, in, in instead usurping that, going our own way, fashioning the world's power into our power. Well, the world comes to us with lots of warps. There's all kinds of temptations to thwart God's best. In our world today, he's using um, lies, lots of lies about who we are, about how we deal with our bodies, how we deal with our relationships, what we put into our bodies, um, how we conduct relationships. The temptation is to thwart his best and do it our way or do it the world's way. Some illustrations. Um, the world tells us to um, cohabitate before marriage, right? That's the world's wisdom. In fact, it's, it's hard to find couples today that want to get married who aren't living together. Well, what's, that's not God's best, is it? Most will say, well, the world says to do that. Okay? It's putting our best in place of God's best. And God wants us to follow his best. He's going to have the fruit of those relationships borne out because of that. The, the same thing is true with how we view our physical temples, the bodies of, that God's given us. The world tells us certain things we should do, and, and God says, be wise. Treat your body as it is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Anyway, God calls us to uh, resist that just like he did there, for it is written, the Lord has a plan. God has his best. The last phrase, this is verse uh, 11. Let's just focus on this for a minute. This is where Jesus not only used it is written, but he overcame with God's word. He was triumphant in it. Look at what it says. The devil left him, 
the devil left him. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Satan tempted him to jump off the pinnacle and angels would rescue him. Maybe the angels were right there on the the precipice, the the veil of heaven, looking down on it. God, can can we go minister to him now? And it's almost as if the father's saying, hold off, guys. He's going through the process. He's going to be tempted in every way like humans are, but without sin. Hold off, guys. But as the devil left him, the angels came and ministered to him. We don't know what that looked like. The word angel means messenger. Messenger. The messengers came and ministered to him. (laughs) They they blessed him. In fact, here's what the uh, Luke version says. When the devil had finished all these temptings, he left him until an opportune time. One version says, to a more opportune time. He's realizing this guy is too strong even in his weakness of 40 days and 40 nights of fasting. He's too strong even in the midst of that for us to overcome. We're going to come back around and attack him in a different way. You know where one of the ways was? (laughs) When he came in through Peter. Peter stood up in front of Jesus and said, you are not going to the cross. We cannot handle you dying on the cross. And Jesus basically pushed him aside and said, get behind me, Satan. I am going to Jerusalem. I'm going to lay my life down. I am going to the cross. That was a more opportune time. And Jesus, just like in his three in the desert, said, it is written, I will serve the Lord by giving my life for him. What's the good news in all of this? Is there any good news about temptation? Let's go through a couple of things. Number one, good news is there because uh, it's not a sin to be tempted. It's not a sin to be tempted. How do you know that? This passage, Jesus was tempted and he was tempted and never sinned. It's not a sin to be tempted. Sometimes we feel guilty that we are tempted. Just the opposite. In fact, it's sometimes in the seasons of your life, you can look at, he might be tempting you because you are growing. Here's a way to look at it. Jesus was amazingly being effective for the Father, and he was tempted. If you are amazingly effective for the Father, you're going to be tempted. If Satan's kind of leaving you alone, you might ask yourself, maybe you're not on a growth plane right now. He wants to call you to a different season in your life. But no temptation, so it, it is always, we're always going to be tempted. There is never a time when you outgrow temptation. The time you outgrow temptation is when you're six feet under. Okay? Between now and then, temptation is common to man. You will not outgrow it. Hebrews chapter 4 says it this way. Because he himself suffered and he was tempted. Catch that? He is able to help those who are being tempted. That's you and me. He's he's got the answer. He's the one we turn to. And because we've been tempted, we're not sinning because we're trusting in him. Now, here's here's the key good news. There is always, jot that down, always, write it in there, always a way out. If you don't have this scripture embedded in your mind, I want to encourage you. This is so, so powerful. 
No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to mankind. And God is faithful. Underline that. God is faithful. He will not allow or not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out. A way out. A way out that you can endure it. So, (laughs) note, you're always going to find a way out. Your circumstances are not unique. Now, maybe some circumstances are, but the temptation is common. The temptation is common. You can't say, well, if anybody else had to go through this, they would fall. That's why I fall. You know? And you can't say, well, if Jesus had to go through what I was going through, it says he was tempted like we are. And he will show us that all temptation is common to all men. It was experienced by Jesus, and he had victory. You will never have to sin. In our excuse-giving, blame-filled world, we can't say, like Flip Wilson, the devil made me do it. You know? You never have to sin. There's no made to it. Instead, or we, or we can't say, well, I'm only human. No, that's the point of this verse. There's no temptations overtaking you, but it's common to man. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape so that you can endure it. God promises. God promises you can endure it. The other word is stand up under it. How do you do that? Just like Jesus did. The Bible says, resist the devil, and what? He'll flee from you. Now, there's times when we need to flee. The one sin the Bible says, don't take on and fight. He says, flee. He says, flee youthful lusts. Flee the temptation of lust. He says, you guys can't handle that one. Get out of there. Okay? But in in James, he says, here's the normal way we handle temptation. He says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. He'll come back around at another more opportune time. But there'll be a season where you're not tempted in the same exact way. Resist him, resist him, resist him, and he will flee from you. He promises you can endure it and stand up under it. There is a way out. Jesus gives us the truth. Number three, Jesus shows us the way to triumph. He gives us the victory. When we follow his example, here's what it says. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. Circle every way. Circle every way. He's been tempted in every way, just as we are. Then circle this, yet without sin. Yet without sin. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. See, that's very important. God in Christ gives us both the victory and the power, the the help. That's what it says right there. You'll find grace to what? Help in your time of need. What's your time of need? Temptation. Where do you get help? Jesus. Why do we get help from Jesus? He's been there. He understands. 
and he's been victorious. Lean on him and you'll find the victory as well. Let's talk about the process. This is just another verse. It's just so powerful. I've got to mention it. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But a person is tempted when he is dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Temptation never comes from God, does it? Don't ever say, God tempted me. We talked earlier about who's the tempter? The accuser, the devil, the evil one, the father of lies. God doesn't tempt anyone, and he himself cannot be tempted by evil. Jot that down. Temptation never comes from God. Number two, evil desire drags a person away from God's presence. A man is trapped. He's drawn away and trapped by his own evil desires. If you sense yourself being drawn away from God's presence, that's the first step to yielding to temptation. Run home. Get back. Dive in. The reason Jesus could overcome temptation was his closeness and fellowship with the Father. The thing that's going to help in our lives is the same. Isolation and seclusion will kill us spiritually. Isolation and seclusion. If you're not in regular fellowship, it's going to affect how you deal with temptation in your life. Seclusion and isolation is dangerous. The last one I've got there is sin is progressive. It says when sin has conceived, it gives birth to sin and it gives birth to death. It is a, a process of dying. A couple of the real quickies here. If you're jotting these down. Growing brings temptation and resisting brings growth. Is that a conundrum? Is that an oxymoron there? When you're growing, you're going to be facing more temptation. But when you face temptation, it will bring about growth in your life. That's why the best chapters are sometimes written after the fact. Resisting temptation will bring growth. And let me just end with this. Embracing the cross, embracing the cross cleanses us from sin. It gives us a new start. It erases sin and helps us look at the, the path that's ahead of us with his eyes and with his plan and with his victory. The cross was there, the Bible says, so that our sins, though red as scarlet, can be washed whiter than snow. You know, someone submits to Jesus, follows him in the watery grave of baptism. The picture is there. He says, you are buried in Christ. Your sins are washed away. That's his desire for all of us. He does not want us living under a cloud of guilt. Just the opposite. As our sins are forgiven, we have a new hope. Not just someday to go in heaven, not just hell insurance, but power now. Power now as we rely on Jesus and trust in him.